0: The scripture for today is from the book of Numbers, chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. The holy tent was set up. It was the tent where the tablets of the covenant law were kept. On the day it was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening until morning, the cloud above the tent looked like fire. That's what continued to happen. The cloud covered the tent. At night, the cloud looked like fire. When the cloud lifted from its place above the tent, the Israelites started out. Where the cloud settled, the Israelites camped. When the Lord gave the command, the Israelites started out. And when he gave the command, they camped. As long as the cloud stayed above the holy tent, they remained in camp. Sometimes the cloud remained above the tent for a long time. Then the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order. They didn't start out. Sometimes the cloud was above the tent for only a few days. When the Lord would give the command, they would camp. And when he would give the command, they would start out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening until morning. When it lifted in the morning, they started out. It didn't matter whether it was day or night. When the cloud lifted, the people started out. It didn't matter whether the cloud stayed above the holy tent for two days or a month or a year the Israelites would remain in camp. They wouldn't start out. But when the cloud lifted, they would start out. When the Lord gave the command, they camped. And when he gave the command, they started out. They obeyed the Lord's order. They obeyed him just as he had commanded them through Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: I'm not so tall. (laughs) Good morning, everybody um for those of you who don't know me my name is Gretchen I am very brand new to the staff here at First Baptist and I want to extend a warm welcome to everybody um especially for those of you who are brand new to us we want to say hi and thank you for coming and we are so glad you're part of our family this morning hope everyone is doing well I know there are lots of sniffles because of all the pollen outside me too (laughs) spring is sprung for sure um i wanted to again say hi and welcome to all of you um if you're here with us for the first time i don't have any of my materials um we have if you look in your bulletins we have yellow cards that you can use to give us your information we would love to know more about you um bill right there is holding up a yellow card so feel free to fill that out not fill it out um if you are a longtime member here, we also encourage you to use that as a way of sharing prayer requests. We really do love praying for you. Um, if you're new to us, you can share us with us your prayer requests as well. Um, but we welcome you to do that, and there will be a time in the service when you can hand in your yellow cards. Um, if you are new, we have a connection desk right out in the front. You probably saw me there this morning. We encourage you to stop by. There are all kinds of things there. We have books on sale for the Lenten season. Three books are now on offer. Um, but feel free to stop by. If you're new, we do have a gift for you. And we would love to just get to know you a little bit before you head on out to the rest of your Sunday. Right now, it's my extreme pleasure to introduce our speaker. Obviously, I'm not John Jay, and I promise you, you're not going to hear a sermon from me today. That may happen. I have to kind of work my way up to it. So if I do well today, maybe you could put in a good word for for me with John Jay. But instead, I would love to introduce to you the Reverend Dr. Ken Fong. Ken has been a longtime pastor at Evergreen, Church, Evergreen Baptist Church in La Puente. He was there for 39 years. He doesn't look old enough to have been a pastor for that long, um, but he's retired to do some really uh, some other exciting things. He is an affiliate professor at Fuller Seminary. He um, teaches on the American Asian American church experience. He also has a podcast called Asian America, the Ken Fong podcast. And he is an avid photographer. He cycles. Um, I didn't hear if he actually cooks. I'm sure that might be part of his profile. Um, but anyway, spend some time today getting to know him. Um, but for now, I'd like to invite him up, and let's pray for him.
0: Thank you.
1: So, Jesus, we thank you for Ken. We thank you for his willingness to come here and share your word with us this morning. We ask that you anoint him, have our... <clears throat> Open up our ears, open up our hearts to all that you have for us through Ken. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you so much, Gretchen. Uh, so I'm just going to tell you, uh, this is my wife and my fourth Sunday here. So this is the bold church. <laughs> or at least a bold senior pastor uh, to invite me to uh, fill the pulpit in his absence. Actually, the person he originally invited is a, a friend and a hero of mine, Dr. Bill Pinnell at Fuller and so uh, I was really kind of taken aback that I was uh, speaking in uh, Bill's stead. But um, I, I will tell you, uh, having seen uh, John Jay preach, I I will not walk around as much as he does. If that guy's wearing a Fitbit, he's getting in his 10,000 steps. Uh, being older than uh, John Jay, I have bifocal glasses. And so when I look down, if I have to navigate all these different things through my bifocals, someone's going down. I want to begin by uh, talking about 1974. That was a long time ago for some of us. How old were you in 1974? You don't have to say it out loud. Just think about it. Uh, because I was 20. <laughs> okay, right? And uh, I was still in Northern California... I had no idea, no plans on actually becoming a pastor. I was about, uh, in the summer, about to transfer from Sacramento City College in the fall to Cal Berkeley to be in the marching band, to finish my degree in biology. But later on, I did become a pastor of a church called Evergreen Baptist Church. It's actually in Rosemead. And in 1974, July... We're gonna talk about clouds above the people of God. There was a cloud above the church when it was located in East LA. Okay? And, uh, it was a cloud caused by a fire in the sanctuary, which had been triggered by some kids in the neighborhood, uh, using their fireworks early. Okay? It happens, right? And this is a church that had been founded by the LA Baptist City Mission Society way back in 1925. Uh, It was a mission for Japanese immigrants then living in the Boyle Heights, East LA area. And now they'd gone through the internment camps where the whole church had been disbanded and people's lives had been disrupted. And then after the war, those who came back to LA, they not only had to rebuild their lives, but they had to rebuild the church. And this was a church that... I, I think somewhat tongue-in-cheek can be called by some people "Church of the Revolving Door," because pastors who came to this church didn't intend to stay there very long. Right? It, it 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 had like twenty-five pastors in 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 like sixty or seventy years. Okay. So the fact that I was there my entire adult life, I I was dealing like with abandoned children. <laughs> when are you going to leave? Right. <laughs> so. You can imagine this fire happens in the sanctuary, didn't burn down the whole church. Fire department did their job. But now this struggling church of less than 100 people had to make a decision. Was God calling them to rebuild the sanctuary and keep going as a struggling church that pastors didn't really want to stay with? Was God calling to just shut the whole thing down? A lot of churches in America are facing that, right? Is it worth it? Or maybe was God going to use this fire, not saying that God caused the fire, but that God would use the fire to actually motivate the church to sell the property and move out of East L.A. since most of the people that they were targeting no longer live there themselves. Churches face those kind of questions. Where's God in all of this? Well, there was a pastor, and that's not actually his picture So I just want to be clear about that. Uh, There's a pastor that basically who was the pastor at the time. They only had one pastor. He used that occasion to say, God is telling me that I'm supposed to move to a church in Hawaii. And so as I came to the church in 78, I came to realize that he was the pastor who must not be named. (laughs) Like people really felt abandoned in this time of need. But, you know, it's complicated. And looking at the passage that was read today, it's easy to kind of think, well, you know, this is simply a sermon about the people of God should never get ahead of God and never get behind of God, right? Like, don't get ahead of God. If the cloud's not moving, don't move. If the cloud's moving, you better move, right? That, That would be, let's go home. Let's have the closing hymn. But my experience being in churches my entire life is much more complicated than that. And we're going to deal with that. So our passage talks about how as the people had been led by Moses out of Egypt on this exodus journey, they had no idea at the time it was going to be 40 years of wandering around in the in the desert, that in the first month, on the first day of the first month, in the second year after they had left as freed slaves from Egypt, they finally were able to build this kind of mobile Worship center. The tabernacle. And it was about 675 square feet. It was like about 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high. And if you read the passages, uh, the whole Levite tribe ha- was charged with carrying around all these materials. This was a, this was not an easy up canopy. I mean, this, this thing was heavy and bulky and it took a lot to dismantle it. It took a lot to put it up. But as soon as they finished it, and they put the Ten Commandments and the Ark of the Covenant into the holiest of holy places. The Shekinah glory of God, it says, begin to shine, saying, like, okay, you did a good job. Like, God is blessing your work. And then we get to um, Exodus forty thirty four. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Okay, so this is a very, very... A clear memory of the people of God. That when they obediently built this movable worship space. That God proved that that God was with them. By showing up in this sense of glory. And then we get to Numbers 9. And I think the crux of what we want to talk about. Is really found uh, starting in verse 17. When the cloud lifted from its place above the tent. The Israel started out. So it's always hovering over the tent. But when it went higher then they said oh god saying we're supposed to move where the cloud settled then the israelites camped so when the cloud would settle closer to the ground then they go about setting up all their resident tents and certainly setting up uh, the tabernacle when the lord gave the command the israelites started out and when he gave the command they camped and as we heard when the whole passage is read sometimes the cloud just stayed in place in its low trajectory over the tabernacle for months, sometimes years at a time. Now imagine if you're these people that, that God had miraculously freed from Pharaoh's uh, enslavement. And you're on the way to the promised land. And God is proving right God's presence and it, with you and all this stuff. But it's days and weeks and months and years. And yes, the cloud is still there. But some of those people had to be wondering... Maybe even worrying. It's like, this doesn't look like the promised land. I don't see any milk and honey. It's like, like, what, what's going on? I would imagine that some of the people actually got pretty comfortable. They're, are you like that? Like, you don't, you don't require much when you go on vacation, when you move to a new place. It's just like you get settled in real quick and you make that place home. And I can imagine how some of those people, when they camped, they started putting down roots. And then when the cloud would lift, those people were having problems, right? It's like I'm not sure that I'm ready to move because this seems like pretty good. It's not being slaves in Egypt. So let's talk about I think the the three oops I'm pushing the wrong button there. The three uh, purposes for this cloud. Okay, whether during the day it looked like a pillar of cloud, and during night it looked like this pillar of fire. Uh, so one, and we touch on this, that cloud gave the people of God a sense, like, this proves that we're not, like, insane people. (laughs) This proves that God is really with us. Like, we are God's people, and God is leading us. So it would be one thing for God to part the Red Sea, and then never kind of make God's presence known ever, you know, in a visible way. And they're just wandering around, listening to other human leaders. But having this cloud hovering over them, and especially the tabernacle, was proof for them. Second of all, it was like the world's biggest nightlight. Now, be honest, when you were a little kid, how many of you couldn't go to sleep if you didn't have a nightlight? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm, I'm not surprised. There's something about the dark where human imaginations start to go wild. Especially if you just saw a monster movie. Okay? And you start to imagine things in the closet and things under the bed and all these kind of things. And so God understood that about his people. And so God said, all right, so at nighttime, I'm going to light up this column of of the cloud so that even in this wilderness, even though you're in the dark, you will still have a sense that you're not alone, that I am with you. And the third reason that God gave for being present in this cloud, the Shekinah glory, was to say, I am the trustworthy guide that you can obey and follow. So even if following means staying put, that's that's still me guiding you. And when I say it's time to move, we're going to move. So I was thinking about this as I was looking at this passage the last couple of weeks, and I was thinking back to when I was a kid in elementary school and we used to play Red Light, Green Light. Is that is that really dating me? Does the kids still play that? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a very simple game, right? It's like everybody starts at the back except for the person who's it. And then they turn their back to everybody and they go, green light, right? And everyone's running as fast as they can. And then they turn around, red light. And then you can't move. And if you move, you're, you have to go to the back, okay? And the whole point is you're trying to get up to the person calling red light, green light. And I was thinking about this. This whole thing with the cloud and the cloud of fire and people having to obey God's commands about whether they're supposed to camp or where they're supposed to go It's like this cosmic game of red light, green light. It's like, don't get ahead of God. Don't get behind God. So when God says, go, let's go. But when God says, stay, let's stay. So here's the problem. We don't see this in in the uh, Old Testament accounts of of this cloud during the 40 years. But I told you, I've been in church my entire life. And specifically American Baptist church. But I don't think this is limited to just experience in American Baptist church. I think... People, in general, disagree on whether the command is camp or start. I mean, people disagree about whether they change the order something in the worship bulletin. Did God tell you that? Uh, Let's say yes. Right? And people are like, well, over my dead body. And churches are filled with dead bodies. Okay? Because... People don't agree. So even though we we really love and appreciate this great story of how God proved his presence with the people of God. How God actually gave them comfort and assurance during times of darkness and and being surrounded by fears. And even though God had proved time and time again to be their trusted guide. When today's people of God actually try to discern what is God saying? Pick an issue. Here in Southern California, when people don't agree, they just start another church. (laughs) Right? It's kind of like how why there's so many Chinese restaurants in the San Gabriel Valley. I don't know if you realize this. It's not because we need all those Chinese restaurants. It's it's because usually the owner brings some really good cook from Hong Kong and they pay him a lot of money and sometimes buy him a house because this is what the cook demands. And the cook starts saving all their money. And after a while they go, you know what? I'm tired of working for you. I'm the one making the food. I'm going to open my own restaurant. So I see a lot of parallels between the proliferation of Chinese restaurants and the proliferation of churches. People disagree. It's not that clear. And that's a problem. So what do we do? What do we do in today's time as churches, as people of God, when the people of God are not in 100% agreement about what the order is that's coming down from God? Like, I see the cloud moving. We're supposed to go. I see the cloud not moving. We're supposed to camp. Well, I want to offer to you today that God doesn't just speak through this allegorical cloud of presence. But I would also argue that God speaks through ginormous changes and challenges that are happening outside the church. And I think one of the big problems of churches today is that churches tend to ignore what's going on outside them. Would you agree with that? Like we have our head in the sand. A lot of our churches operate as if it's still 1940. Or maybe 1960. And it's like. It's not. So. I want to suggest to you. As someone who takes the future seriously. Who also believe that God speaks. And challenges the people of God. To move or stay. Based on some of those signs that are happening. I want to offer to you. That God is issuing a tsunami warning. You know what a tsunami is. It's a tidal wave. It's this great wave of change. That is. Happening right now as I'm preaching. And when I show you the evidence of this. I I, I doubt that you can disagree. But I would also challenge you. To think how many churches are actually. Hearing God in this warning. Okay. Let's take a look. I want you to say these three words with me. Increase. Exodus. Disappearance. All right. Let's say it one more time. Increase exodus disappearance these three words describe in brief this huge wave of change that is happening that's actually not only impacting our churches but it's impacting us as individual Christians it's impacting Christian families and i believe that churches today have to look at this huge wave of change that's her, that's occurring whether you want it to or not okay it's not asking for permission And then decide, is God saying, leave where you are and be part of something different? Or is God saying, stay exactly the way you are? Okay, you following me? All right, so let's look at increase. More Americans identify today as what they call nuns. When when they did the census survey, they said, what religious affiliation? Now, 34%. This is the highest number in the history of census taking in this country of people who don't identify As uh, either now in this country, the Protestants and the Catholics have had like the most numbers. But this now is the first time that it's measured that there are more non-religious people than religious. Okay, that's not insignificant. Second word was Exodus. So those those were the nuns. Now let's talk about the duns. There are 65 million Americans who still believe in Jesus Christ, who used to go to church, who now say, I don't need church. Raise your hand if you know any of those people. Okay, raise your hand again if some of those people are related to you. Raise your hand one more time if they're your kids. Okay, all right. Even kids who are going to Christian colleges, Christian high schools, right, Christian middle schools. It's like we're giving them all this kind of catechism. But more and more, the duns are saying, I still am profoundly drawn to Jesus. But I am so turned off by the church. That if I have to actually include the church in my relationship with Christ, um, then I'm going to I'm going to bail. So the only way I'm doing this is to actually kind of keep my relationship with Christ as a separate thing. Now, as someone, again, who's spent his entire life in church, I'm like, I don't think, you know, being a Christian is an individualized thing. I I think we're called to be corporately together in this body. But then we need to pay attention to what is it about a local church that turns these people off. This is about 30% of self-identified Protestant Christians in this country. 65 million people. That's a problem. What was the last word? The third word? Disappearance. Who do you think we're talking about? The millennials. Okay. The millennials. And our daughter is turning 20 this coming week. So she's Gen Z. She's right on the cusp. But the millennials, if you have young adult children, is typically them. Okay, and Gen Z, I think, is right on the tail of millennial. Whatever statistics I show you about millennials, I think Gen Z agrees or it's higher. Okay, and they're saying that my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, as far as being Christians are, 87% of millennials say they're too judgmental. 85% say they're too hypocritical. They say one thing. But they actually live in a totally different way. Okay. And the third thing, no surprise, 91% say older adult Christians are too anti-LGBTQ. Now, this is a problem. These generations, the millennials and the Gen Zs, um, it's like pulling teeth to try to get them to come to church. Okay. And now we're talking some of them didn't start off in church. They're not attracted to the good news because it doesn't sound or look like good news to them. Right. I think since 2016, the brand of evangelical Christianity has been totally toxified in this country. So this these three things, the increase of the nuns, the exodus of the duns and the disappearance of the millennials, these three things, even though they're. They're not necessarily happening directly in the church. I think God is speaking to the church saying, so what are you going to do in the face of this? We can't just continue, I think, to just be the same old church and think they're going to change their hearts and minds. Now, I know that some would disagree with me. Right. There would be some Christians that say, "Okay, but we still know that we're right and we're true. And so we just got to hold fast. And one day they'll come to realize that they're wrong and we're right. One of the ways that I see the consequence of this tidal wave is, you know, I teach at Fuller Seminary part-time. You know, enrollment in seminaries is down all over the United States. Seminaries are closing or they're joining with other seminaries to save costs, right? There's layoffs. Fuller's moving to to Pomona, right? Okay. Um, That's a direct consequence of the shrinking of local churches. Because who goes to seminary except people who... Typically go to church or right. You know what I'm saying? So so it it keeps kind of feeding feeding. It's like if everyone is ignoring that this tidal wave is happening, you ignore it at your peril. So I'm the kind of person that's not afraid of change. If I believe God is speaking through the change. Are you that way? So back in the mid 2000s, as I was still the senior pastor of Evergreen Baptist Church, uh, I, I felt God was speaking through these statistics, through these huge paradigm shifts. And I said, is there a way, even though, you know, I'm now a senior citizen, is there a way, even though I'm part of the problem, is there a way to fundamentally re the gospel, re-understand it, so that some of the, the, I think, legitimate complaints are, are actually being addressed? And so, um, I came upon a statistic Two statistics that that really began to change my heart and then my mind. One is that uh, LGBT youth who are raised in Christian families and experience severe persecution in their family, in their school setting, and in their church are eight times more likely to kill themselves. Eight times. They're in our Sunday school classes. They're in our youth groups. And... That wasn't okay. Like, even if I wasn't all settled on the issue itself, the, ish, the real issue to me was, you're supposed to stay alive. And if I'm doing something that's causing you to want to kill yourself, and hate yourself, or if I'm not doing enough to make you want to celebrate the person that God made you, then I need to do something different. The other statistic that really got to my heart and then to my mind was to find out that of the million teenagers in America that end up homeless on our streets... 1 million every year that weren't homeless the year before. 40% of them are LGBTQ. And most of them come from Christian homes. And so once again, God broke my heart over that. And I said, somehow I have to be part of saving these lives. And so we started this whole process that took years at our church. Because I needed the whole church to go on the journey with me. But eventually, I think it was in 2014, after many, many hours of prayer and deliberation, one of the things we did is we started an official group that was safe for what I called spiritually homeless people. Some of these people had graduated from Biola, Fuller, Wheaton, you name it, right? And unlike the nuns and the duns, they wanted to come to church. Think about that. Well, we're trying to convince this other group of people, you should come to church. The other people are like, Can I come to church? Will you let me? Like, I'm not used to that question. Then when they show up at church, like, can I usher? I was like, you know how many times I try to convince straight people to, to usher? <laughs> you let me usher? Are you kidding? I was like, yeah. In fact, we'll even take your tithe. <laughs> we're not going to have a policy about that. And that group grew from 15 people who started coming from all over the place to almost 100. It it became like 15% of the people coming to the church. And the church had to really grapple with this and say, so is the cloud moving or is the cloud staying, (laughs) right? Is, is, Is this really God speaking to us? And if so, it's not just for this group of people. It's fundamentally for those of us who are part of the church right now. Like there's, we have blind spots. We have biases that people who aren't typically like us, and in this case, it's just this example. You, you put it anywhere. You know, families with kids with special needs, poor people, on and on and on. You take the people who are not typically in your church and you have them come join the church and feel fully part of the church. They will show you your privilege. They, they will show you where you're putting up roadblocks that don't affect you. It only affects them. And I think our church began to crave wanting to be a better church. Okay. So even though some people, even to this day, said, no, you heard God wrong. God's saying camp. Right. God's saying stop. I believed that God was saying start. Start something new. And that's the problem, again, that I described to you is that faithful, reasonable, Bible-believing Christians don't all agree what God is saying. So now it's 2019, and uh, that's First Baptist Church. It's not on fire. Don't don't be afraid. This church is how old? When was it planted? Over 100 years. Okay, I mean, just looking at the architecture here, the pipe organ, the beautiful you know pews and all of that. Uh, it's not hard for me to imagine, even though I really don't know the history of the church, that this used to be one of the anchor churches in this city i can imagine the mayor used to come here right and the people on the city council and and all that kind of stuff and i'm sure that in in the last 20 30 years of this church's existence there have been a lot of those same kind of questions that came up in 1974 with evergreen when the fire happened to the sanctuary should we shut this thing down should we move should we become you know should we add drums and electric guitar (laughs) You you know what i'm saying i mean One of the things about historic churches is we all know what this journey is all about and all wondering what is God saying to us? Are we a dinosaur or are we something that is this kind of constantly being changed, constantly evolving so that we're relevant and real to the people who currently surround this this church? I don't know what the challenges are in specific I will tell you, as someone who's come for four Sundays, the sense that my wife and I have is that, yes, this is a historic church with beautiful architecture. And I used to be a church organist, awesome organ. But something new is happening here. Do you get that sense? And I know that God is tickled when God can take something that looks dead and makes it brand new and alive. So I will tell you that as a newcomer, I do sense that energy. I do hear that from your your pastor and your his staff. I mean, I, I think God is doing something new and fresh, but it's built on the rich history of this church. How you address the the, the tsunami right, and other sort of challenges. I think it's still contained within all of that. So. Here's the money pitch. I think it's possible for Christians, reasonable, faithful Christians, not to agree on the big, is God saying camp or start, but to absolutely agree at the same time in unanimity that God is saying stop and start at the same time. Let me give you an example. I think God is saying to Christians everywhere and Christians in this church, stop Being so priestly and being all about blessing and cursing, if you were here last week, and start being more prophetic and being about radically embracing. Okay? I think God is saying, stop obsessing over the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye and start focusing only on the log in your own. See how this works? I think God is saying, stop Being so quick to judge and quick to hate and start being quick to love and quick to embrace, especially people that bring down your reputation in some people's eyes. I think God is saying, stop trying to save yourselves and start letting me save you every day. Stop just going to church and start being God's presence In the shadowy places, in the in in the people in the places that feel God forsaken. Show up and be the church. And I'll offer one more. I think God is saying simultaneously, stop trying to impress me with all of your self righteous acts, all your holier than thou presence, and start dying to yourself. And letting me marinate you in my life-changing love and grace. Because that's what the world needs. I think that's what the world is still waiting to experience from the church. We were talking about this in my old small group a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about the challenge to love our neighbors and all that. And and one of uh, the dear members of the church, uh, the group said, Yeah, you know what? What I take away from all of this... Is I have to make more of an effort. To love like Jesus. And the old me would have got Good answer. You get an A. But the more recent me said. You know that sounds good. But that's still about us. And it's not about God. It's not about effort I said. It's about emptying. It's only when we have been. Bowled over. Marinated. Received over and over again. This un." unmerited favor and love of God ourselves. Until we are soaked from the inside out, will the effort to love our neighbor come naturally because we're just giving away what we have too much of. I think one of the biggest problems we have trying harder to be better Christians is it's our effort, it's not God's effort. So I don't want to leave you with that 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 conundrum because it's not. We don't need to have a pillar of cloud or fire above our heads individually or as, as a church. Now, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of ourselves. We're in Lent. We're not quite at Good Friday and Easter, but I'm going to tell you a little secret. I know how the story ends. So, spoiler alert. Jesus doesn't just stay dead. Jesus actually, on the third day, rises to life again. And in coming back to life and then releasing his Holy Spirit upon this earth at Pentecost, he gave that presence as the proof, as the comfort, and as the trusted guide for the lives that we have to live today. People in church, and especially Baptists, are going to continue to disagree about is God saying to do this or God saying to do that. You believe that? Now, people said, you know, well, there are three Baptists together. There's like 10 different opinions. <laughs> okay, so, so I know that's true. But let me offer this. I hope that every one of those people, even if they're Baptists, will all agree about what God is saying to stop and what God is saying to start about being God's representatives and God's reservoirs here on this planet Earth. Jesus spoke through the prophet in Hebrews, Hebrews thirteen five. He's, God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So. Whether or not we see clouds of fire or clouds at all, we have the promise of Jesus Christ, God's son. Like, we're not in this alone. And even with these giant tidal waves of change that are happening and challenging us and sometimes pulling us apart and turning us against each other. I think if we come back to those basic fundamental things we all agree on are what it means to be Christian, what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. God We'll work it out because God is capable of that. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's very easy for us to fear what we don't understand, fear what's not familiar. And yet there are people that live in those realities that aren't our realities. And we shouldn't be afraid of them and what they have to deal with. Thank you for your faithful presence in this church. For its long and storied history. Thank you and praise you for how you're breathing new life, not only within the walls of this church and its programming, but out into the city and surroundings because of the receptivity of the people of First Baptist Pasadena. God, while we may continue to have disagreements, even on how we should deal with issues and changes that are happening around us. May we all agree about essentially whose we are and what difference that makes in how we relate to one another, even how we talk about difficult issues. Thank you that your promise is true, that you will never leave us or forsake us even to the end of the age. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, Ken.